hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Are you looking for creative hacks to increase your net worth? Then an ESPP or employee stock purchase plan account may be the secret ingredient you need. You're listening to Queer Money episode number 430. And today we're sharing the what, the pros and the cons of a very popular employee benefit, ESPP accounts. Now let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. We first want to start out by giving a special shout out to Atlanta, Georgia, which recently has gone up to our top three downloads for cities in the U.S. So thank you all, Atlanta, Georgia, for the love. Yeah. We need to visit there someday. Yeah, we do. I've been, but you have not. But Rude. <laughs> we also want to give a shout out to Kauai Blue, who gave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This is what Kauai says. This podcast is a must listen. John and David really know their stuff and have interesting guests on as well. So thank you very much, Kawhi. We Aww. appreciate it. Kawhi Blue <laughs> thinks that we're smart. I hope they think that we're pretty too. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the topic at hand. We're talking about ESPP accounts. <laughs> Employee stock purchase plan accounts. So per Investopedia, ESPP accounts are a company-run program for participating employees to purchase company stock at a discounted rate. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. And the other thing is, is that these are a lot more common than I think a lot of people are aware of. As a matter of fact, AON, a global professional services firm, found that 49% of companies in the S&P 500 and 38.5% of companies in the Russell 3000 offer ESPP plans. So this may be something that your company offers and you're just not aware of it or you forgot about it. So, so this is why we're doing the show. Exactly. So let's get back to what really is an ESPP account. Right. So it's this is an employee benefit that you can set up through your benefits department or through your human resource departments. That basically allows you to take deductions from your reoccurring paycheck that can go into a special account, ESPP account, to purchase your company stock at a discounted rate at various times of the year. There are some in intricacies that we'll talk about on this episode, but, but basically that's the, the summary of it. It's, 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 it's a benefit like any other benefit, like a 401k. Right, exactly. This is the deduction that comes out of your paycheck. It's done almost automatically for you. It's really nice because employees are able to purchase shares of their own company, oftentimes at a discount, which means you get an immediate profit benefit from that. And for some people, it's as high as 15%. So you're getting a 15% automatic profit on your purchases. Yeah, like where are you getting a 15% return these days. It's yeah. just unheard of. Now, is there, as we said, there are some intricacies, right? So you don't necessarily have access to this money immediately. And you might wouldn't want to sell these shares immediately anyway, because of the possible tax consequences. But it's nice to know that you have that sort of, that, that sort of leg up. So there are basically two types of 
ESPP or employee stock purchase plan accounts. There are qualified and then unqualified. The qualified is the most ubiquitous. This basically requires shareholder approval, right? So you're, you have a public company, they have shareholders, and the shareholders must approve this program for the company and that it's implemented throughout the firm and it applies to everybody across the board. There's an egalitarian system here, right? So the CEO or the president of the company doesn't get a more favorable discount rate or they can't have access to a plan, whereas you might not have access to a plan. This applies to everybody equally across the board. So that's a, it's a one way that you and your, your, your CEO, your president or your boss are on the same playing field. Right. The other thing about a qualified plan is that they oftentimes have a offering period, which we'll talk about what that is in just a second, but the offering period cannot be longer than three years. And there are also restrictions on the max discount that is allowed. And those are set by the IRS. Right. Whereas unqualified plans... None of that shit applies. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're, they're, they're really kind of a... Whatever your company, I actually read this online, whatever your company fancies, <laughs> they actually <laughs> use the word, whatever your company fancies. But the problem with that, though, is while, while that sort of rogue strategy might be great, they don't necessarily, if they're unqualified, have some of the tax advantages. Exactly. So there's a bit, in, bit of give and take there. So how does one become eligible for an ESPP account if one is available, David? Right. So if it is available, as John said, and it's a qualified plan, well, then there aren't any restrictions, except for you may see a restriction that you have to wait for a certain amount of time, oftentimes a year before you're actually allowed to start making purchases. After your initial employment. Right, exactly. You need to be, you need to be an employee for a year. Usually there is a percentage of your income that it max or limit that is put on these. So sometimes that is, I've seen ones that are five to 10%. Sometimes they, right. Sometimes they can go higher, but the IRS does have a requirement that you, anyone, whether you're the president, CEO, as John mentioned, or you're a frontline employee, no one can contribute more than $25,000 a year to a qualified ESPP plan. That's $25,000 in a calendar year right. too, by the way. There are some important dates to be aware of. This is where it can get a little bit confusing. You're not just buying the stock immediately. There has to be sort of an offering period that can. that's typically several months at a time. And then there's a, a grant date where the, the stock is distributed to, to you on a specific date. And that typically marks the end of the offering period, though not always. And then there's the the purchase date where you actually are going to make the purchase. And sometimes the purchase date can be multiple dates, depending upon how your plan is set up and how you as an individual are looking to take advantage of this particular plan. The reason that this is seemingly so convoluted is because the stock market doesn't typically appreciate that <laughs> not everybody else is on the same playing field, uh, especially those who are sort of on the inside, right? So everything must be done on the up and up. Everything needs to be done so as to not creating an, an appearance of impropriety. You know, like if you're on the, the Supreme Court, you want to make sure that you're being honest with everybody in public about what's going on. And so they put these sort of hurdles so everything is transparent and nobody can really sort of game the system. Right. So let's talk about the taxes, because I think this is one of the things that can be a little confusing for some people. One of the things that's important to remember here is that we're typically talking about the taxes for qualified plans. Unqualified plans can kind of go a little rogue when it comes to taxes. So typically, 
you should know that there is not a taxable event happening with the purchase of this of this stock until you actually sell it. So once the stock is sold, that's when you trigger a taxable event. And that taxable event, depending on what price you purchased at it at, can either be income, treated as normal income for you, or it could actually be a loss. Let's hope that doesn't happen because we want your company stock price to continue to go up, but it's possible you may have a loss on some of your shares. And depending on your tax situation that particular year, having a loss may be beneficial, but of course we're looking to grow our wealth. Yep. So whenever there is a discount offered, so as we said at said the outset, typically that discount is anywhere from 10 to 15%. That is taxed as, as ordinary income. So that really kind of the way the IRS is looking at it is you got a company benefit that is not taxed when you are making the purchase. So they want actually to collect the taxes on that company benefit. So you're going to pay pay the difference in what the share price that you paid versus what it was actual purchased at, you're going to pay that difference as ordinary income. When you are taxed on these, it can kind of break down as one of two ways. So if you are holding the shares and you are still working for the company, if you've worked for that company and are still working for that company and you purchased the shares more than two years ago, when they were actually purchased or granted to you, then that's going to be taxed as ordinary income for you. The other thing that can happen is the shares can be transferred to you. So let's say, for example, you're working for a company, but you leave that company. And what happens is the shares that were purchased can be transferred to a brokerage account. You don't have to sell them. But then after those shares have been granted to you, you have a one-year time period. After that one-year time period, when they've been transferred to you, then you would pay, that would be ordinary income when those are sold. And we have seen examples, I was actually one of them, where we kept the shares after I left my former employer, I kept those shares in a brokerage account for actually quite a few years and allowed them to continue to increase in price. So you're not required to sell the shares of the company you work for. When you leave that company, they can actually be transferred to a brokerage account. But you definitely want to hold them to those shares. Well, Ideally, hold on to those shares at least one year after they've been offered to you after you've left the company so they can lower your taxable consequences because you would typically be charged ordinary as opposed to short-term capital gains. Correct. Right. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. And it's this is maybe an important distinction here that some people get employee stock purchase plan shares confused with restricted stock that you can get from a company. Those are two different kinds of stock benefits. Restricted stock are typically issued to you and have some restrictions around when you can take ownership of them and sell them. This is a different kind of plan when you're talking about employee stock purchase plans. So what are some of the pros and cons of employee stock purchase plan accounts? Well, most of the pros 
the most number of pros are in favor of the company. That is, it makes it better for recruitment efforts, right? You can attract more people to the company if you've got great benefits and an ESPP account is, is an ideal benefit. It also helps with employee retention. People like to stick with their company because they oftentimes, because they're like, they know that the offering period is coming up or that the grant period is coming up or that they need to stay with the company for a certain duration so that they can make sure that they get their shares offered to them. You know, so it kind of creates that sort of sense of, I got to stay here and, and hang on so I can get access to these shares and or get take advantage of my full benefits. It also creates a sort of a, a culture of ownership, right? You, you have skin in the game when you own stock of the company that you work for, right? So you want them to do well because if the company does well, you do well. So it increases employee engagement. That said, there are benefits to the employee and there's a huge perk and why we're talking about it. Right. It's because it can be a wealth building tool. Yeah. You're able to purchase portions of your company at a discount. That discount actually is, as we said before, immediate profit and hopefully continues to be a profit. And then the other one is convenience. This is yeah. a really easy program. You sign up for it. It's deducted out of your paycheck. They make the purchases for you. You get to see a special account where the the shares are being held, watch it grow, and then you make the decision as to when you want to or if you want to sell the shares and take that cash. Yeah, we talk a lot about on the show about the benefit of automating your finances, such as your contributions to your 401k, contributions to your emergency savings account, paying your bills and all that. This is another way to to automate your growth of, of, your, of your net worth and why we're talking about it, because stock investing is one of the three sides of the wealth builders pyramid, right? There are also some cons though. One of those is that typically you're only allowed to purchase whole shares, not fractional shares, which can make this a hurdle for some employees, especially for companies where their stock price is really high. For example, Chipotle. Chipotle <laughs> stock price is over $2,000 a share, right? So if you're setting aside an extra $50 a paycheck, it's going to take you a long time to get to that 2000 mark. It always comes back to tacos, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, or burritos. The other thing is that this can only happen through payroll deductions. You cannot hand your employer a wad of cash or a, a check. That they would probably love this, but you can't hand them a wad of cash or a check and say, hey, go purchase a thousand shares of the company for me at a 15% discount so I can make a, a whole bunch of extra money right now. No, the only way to do this is actually through your paycheck. So it's really important that when you're doing this, you do your calculations and you understand understand how much this is going to actually impact your pay when you get your pay every month or every yeah. week or whatever pay period you're on. <laughs> yeah. And with that said, you know, you can't you can't access this money during the offering period, right? So during the offering period, you're making reoccurring contributions to your ESPP account and that's it's in there as cash. You can't access that cash, unfortunately. So if you have a an emergency that pops up and you need to get some money bad, this isn't a resource to tap into to get access to that cash. So as David said, you want to be careful that you understand your your current cash flow, that you don't necessarily need to to rely on this money, what your obligations are, you know, to pay your bills, to fund your emergency savings account, take care of your family. And don't forget that your primary goal is to focus on saving and preparing for retirement. This isn't really a retirement savings strategy. Right. There are benefits, and of course, they can be applied to your retirement strategy, but it's not really a retirement savings strategy. So you kind of don't want to lose sight of the goal because, for example, Enron, 
Exactly. For all you queer babies out there, Enron is a company that back in the nineties, I think was going crazy. It's stock price was going really, really high. Lots of employees were purchasing the company, but what really was going on is some bad accounting that was being hidden and the company collapsed and people went from having a net worth of millions of dollars to having absolutely nothing. And they had planned on or put all of their money into their, their own, into the company that they worked for. And they got, they drank the Kool-Aid and they put all of their nest egg into a single stock. And then when the stock went belly up, their finances went belly up and then Theranos was born, which leads to (laughs) true story that her dad worked for Enron, (laughs) which leads to the next risk. And that is you want to avoid creating a concentrated position for yourself, right? Because you're getting this big discount, right? So it's quite appealing, especially as you, if your stock price is going up and you keep buying it at a discount, you're watching your portfolio get bigger and bigger. That's quite enticing, but you can easily create a concentrated position that you want to avoid. And typically the definition of a concentrated position is that a particular stock makes up anywhere from 15 to 20% of your overall portfolio. And you want to avoid that because that just makes your portfolio quite risky and you want to avoid the Enron example. And again, as we talked about earlier, another con is liquidity. Even when you're you have access to even when this money is in the company stock, you don't have easy access to this money, right? You still have to sell the shares. They still have to be liquidated. You, then you still have to have the, the, the period of three days before you can actually access the cash. So if you need immediate money, this isn't again the source for that. And then if, however, if you leave the company or are asked to leave, any available cash that's in your ESPP account that have not gone towards purchasing the company stock, you still can get access to that. That is typically, though not always, in the your last paycheck that you get from your employer. Sometimes it can be a separate check, but the company can't just keep whatever money that you put into that ESPP account, even though you gave your boss the goodbye or they kicked you out the door. Yeah, exactly. If you've been asked to leave, I like that. How appropriate. You have been asked to leave. (laughs) You still get your money if you've been asked to leave. Right. All right. In summary, an ESPP account is another tool that you can use to help increase your net worth. Keep in mind that you don't want to make sure that ESPP plan options that you invest in doesn't hinder your cash flow. So you're not struggling during the month because you're putting so much money into your ESPP plan. And also you want to make sure that, as John just mentioned, you don't have too much of a concentrated position. Most of your portfolio is not in one company stock. You want to make sure you spread things around. And then, of course, as always with stocks and investments, the longer you can hold them, the better. Typically, avails you for more opportunity for growth and also reduces your taxable consequences. So look out for holding to that those positions as long as possible. Don't look at this as sort of a quick win, be able to make some money to go to Vegas to then gamble and make some more money. <laughs> this is not that strategy. So with all that, stay tuned for your crew takeaway from this episode. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Queer Money. Here is your takeaway from this episode. Contact your human resources department to find out if your company offers this ESPP account. Add this question to the top of your list when you're applying for new jobs. Then if the math makes sense for you, At that particular time, open your ESPP account and take advantage of it during the next offering period. 
Then join us this Thursday when we talk about the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city in the state of Montana. Big sky country. <laughs> and next Tuesday when we talk with Dividend Dream about sh how she's built a nearly $3 million portfolio producing passive income through what else? Dividends. Thank you again and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.